Hello, hello. All right, good morning. Good morning. Come on inside. Go ahead and find your seat. We're going to continue on this morning. All right. My name is Amy. If we haven't met before, I'm on staff here at Sierra Bible Church, and I want to welcome you. You are all in the dark. Can someone turn on that light switch over there? Yeah, thank you. All right. So, hi and welcome. And if you are new to this building, uh, we have Children's Church next door. Um, that's nursery through fifth grade. We also have our family room over here. Um, and we have information about the church and activities going on in that seat pocket in front of you. We also have a gift for you, and you can grab that on your way out today as well. I just have a couple things I want to highlight this morning. Uh, if you haven't registered, haven't heard about our women's spring tea, that is happening this coming Saturday. It's here um, in Ray Hall next door. Actually, no, I take that back. It's here. I knew that the second that came out of my mouth. Okay. So it's in this building, um, and you can register for that online. It's at 11 o'clock. Uh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to know if you're coming so we can have enough goodies and snacks and fellowship with you. Uh, something else happening uh, in a month from now, I want you to save the date, is our annual church cleanup day. This is Saturday, June 3rd from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. And so the property gets beautified all week long, the immaculate parking lot, doesn't look like that by default. Someone actually blows every day. That really does happen. But we do like to, once a, once a year, get all together and get all of our pine needles and do all the maintenance from the winter. And so we want you to be a part of that. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up as well. We, um, especially if you have special cleanup skills, outdoorsy cleanup skills like raking or chopping, whatever it is you do with the green things out there. And if you like to do those things, especially, we would love to have you here. We will have tools and all the equipment here for you. You don't necessarily need to bring those things. So keep that in mind. Uh, something else that is happening, you might have saw that bake sale out front when you came in. Uh, that is our Awana Club. So Awana Club is ending this month. It's been nine months, believe it or not. And those that have earned the privilege of attending the honor camp that is this summer, are um, also needing to get there. And so they will be out front after this service. You can buy a bait good from them. There will also be a car wash. I know, we, you need one because, you know, it rains and snows constantly. And so you can get your car washed after this service. You just figure it out and find the line and get in line. They will wash your car. They will dry your car. They'll say it's dry as, you know, for like a day. And then you can donate to their cause. So when you are leaving the parking lot today, if you are in a line that is not moving, you are in the car wash line. So if you are attempting to leave, you should probably move over and exit another way. But that is happening this morning. Um, also, we are starting our junior high gatherings. So as I announced last week, if you are in 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, you can now get up and leave and go meet Pastor Brad Beers on the deck, and he will take care of you the rest of the time go. You can stay here too. That's fine as well. All right, so junior high gatherings will be happening from now on first and second service, so just keep that in mind. Uh, all right, let's uh, have Pastor Jesse come up. <clears throat> well, good morning. 
If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, one of the guys would love to give you one. Whether you want to own the Bible we give you, that's fine. If you just need to borrow it, that's okay too, and just keep your hands up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians for uh, the foreseeable future, so uh, <clears throat> you're going to want to mark that down. you want to have that bookmarked. A uh, quick couple little updates. The... Um, uh, as you know, we had a memorial service last week for Dave, and uh, that, that went well. And then I had a wedding rehearsal on Sunday and then a wedding on Monday. Uh, I'm thankful that Brad Beers was able to fill in for me last week. And then there was a wedding yesterday as well. I, I didn't go to that wedding. I had to say no to something within that tight crunch in there. And I kind of feel uh, like I haven't preached in a really long time. The staff has really been just inundated with with all of the planning and, and all of that. and But we're here, and God is good, and uh, he continues to reign on the throne, and we we love Jesus. So we're here, yeah? I'm here. I showed up. I made it. I'm stoked to be here. Um, I want to start out by just kind of painting a picture, and then we'll get into the text here in a moment. We'll read it together. But I want to just give a, a quick little introduction to kind of where we're going and, and and what's happening in the particular text we're in. If you remember, Ephesians chapter 1 is a beautiful passage that basically tells us of the goodness of God the Father in salvation. So in the beginning of chapter 1, if you've been tracking with us, if you've been following, we have this introduction that God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world. We have this, this love that God has for his people even before the world was created, before time was created. This morning, we're going to get a little bit more into the Son's work in chapter 1, Jesus' work, that he has redeemed us. In fact, the title of the message this morning is, In Him, Redemption. In Him, we have redemption. Uh, and then we see, right in that portion, we see that Jesus gives us redemption through his blood. And then at the end of chapter 1, uh, near the end of it, we see that the Holy Spirit seals us. So God the Father, his election in time, uh, before time began. The Son, saving us through redemption, through his blood. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit given to us as a gift to seal us, to ensure that we would go to heaven. That's what chapter 1 is all about. It's a beautiful passage of how the entire Trinity is involved in saving you. Now before we get into this passage and we start talking about redemption, I want to just present to you, well, first of all, the idea of redemption is throughout all of Scripture. It's everywhere. Uh, in fact, if you go back into the Old Testament, you will, you'll literally see that Moses is the redeemer of the Hebrew people from the slavery of Pharaoh. And God comes and sends his redeemer, Moses, to free the people out of their slavery. They're in bondage. And then later on in the Old Testament, you'll see this term called a kinsman redeemer. How many of you, all the ladies are familiar with kinsman redeemer. How many of you are familiar with kinsman redeemer? The, the reason I make that joke is, has anyone ever read Francine Rivers' Redeeming Love? I have. <laughs> I have. It's a great book. And, and it's all about Hosea. But anyways, in, 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 um, in the book of Ruth, in, I don't know why I mentioned Hosea, but in the book of Ruth... In the book of Ruth, you, you literally have a gal who, who has lost her husband and it no longer has an ability to provide for herself. 
And biblically, she could have a kinsman redeemer. Now, the way this would work out in the New Testament is what would happen is if, if I borrowed money from Matt and Lisa, right? If I borrowed $10,000 so I could buy groceries for a month, if I borrowed $10,000 from them and I went to Safeway and, and Rayleigh's and bought my groceries and I came home, but then Matt said, hey, listen, you told me you were going to pay me in 30 days. And I didn't pay him in 30 days. I essentially, because there were no bankruptcy laws when Jesus walked the earth, that wasn't something that was in existence. If I owed Matt money, I would basically end up as his slave. That's what would happen. And I would, be, I would basically have to do everything Matt told me to do. Clean his house, wash his dishes, do everything. You wouldn't want me to cook a meal. I'm not good at that. But I would be totally enslaved to Matt unless a kinsman redeemer came. And if a kinsman redeemer came, he could come to Matt and say, Matt, how much does Jesse owe? $10,000. Okay, I'm going to pay the ten grand. Now I'm free. I've been liberated. I've been redeemed. Out of that. Now I'm free, right? Now, to be a kinsman redeemer, biblically, there were laws to this. So if you're going to have a kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer basically had to have three qualities. Quality number one, the kinsman redeemer had to be related it ha he had to be of the flesh of the person he was redeeming. He had to be related to them. Secondly, he had to be willing, out of love. He had to be willing to give that. And thirdly, he had to have the money. He had to pay out of his wealth. So a kinsman redeemer could come and say, yep, I'm related, I'm willing, and I have the money. And likewise, this is what Jesus does for us. This is what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse 7, that Jesus has redeemed us. And Jesus, in his redemption, has done what every kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament has done. Number one, he's of our flesh. That's the reason why God had to become man. So he is related to us, if you will. So he has the ability to redeem us because he is of us. Secondly, he was willing because he loves us. And thirdly, he had the ability to redeem us. And so he gives us this redemption. So this morning, let's read our passage together and let's break it open and let's be in, in greater uh, understanding of his redemption. Would you, if you have the ability this morning, would you stand with me? We do this to honor the word. We love God's word. And Okay. Verse 7, chapter 1. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Lord, this is your holy word. This Bible has been, <laughs> Lord, this word has been, uh, there's been an attempt to destroy it, to mute it, to get rid of it, yet it still stands. Lord, would we stand on it this morning, that we could hear from you and learn from you and grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. Redemption. Right? You need a redeemer. So the question I think we have to ask is what do we need redemption from? Let me define redemption for you. The biblical, the biblical word redemption means liberation from bondage or imprisonment. 
It means rescue. It also means to release. When I read that definition to release, it, it reminded me of if you've ever done athletics at all, uh, or if you've ever tweaked your back or you've ever strained a muscle, you'll know you'll get a knot in your muscle tissue somewhere. Has anyone ever had a knot? Yeah, you've had a knot. Come on. Right? And the best, one of the best feelings when you have a knot is if you've ever been to somebody who knows how to do that active release pressure stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You get a knot and they press on it and then they like move and they press on it even harder and eventually it breaks open and it releases. And now you're free to walk again. This is, this is what it means to be released, to come out of your bondage, to be delivered specifically by payment for a stipulated price. So the reality of what is being said here is that we a need, we have an issue, we need to be liberated from our bondage and from our imprisonment. And then we must ask the question, what is it that we are imprisoned to? Well, it's really easy. The text is really clear. There's a reason why when you look back in the Old Testament and see how God liberated, redeemed the people out of Egypt. They were enslaved, right? They, they, they're captured. And likewise, in our society, the predicament, the issue, the problem, the thing that holds everyone back is the slavery to sin that every human has. Now, I said in the first service, I'll say it here, I wish, I wish as a pastor at times that, that, that I could sugarcoat certain things in the Bible. I wish I could make them sound more appeasable sometimes, more delightful, more funny, more whatever it may be, right? Just, just don't tell me that I have an issue. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me that I'm an evil person. But the reality is, is that the text in Scripture and, and the culture, it's really clear, sin impacts everything. Because Adam and Eve fell, that is the issue. That, that issue of sin is our issue. It's what imprisons us. It's what keeps us under guilt. It's what keeps us under shame. It's what keeps us from getting rid of our addictions. Now, I want you to see something first in the text. Notice what it says here. For those of us who are, who are believers, redemption... Redemption is ours in Christ. We have it right now. We have, he says in verse 7, we have redemption. Okay, so the first part of this text is telling us as a church, as a group of believers, you need to understand you have freedom. You don't have to be in bondage to your sin. You don't have to be in bondage to your darkness and to your shame. Now, if you look on um, anything on clinical psychology or or counseling, or any of that. I, I swim in those worlds a little bit. And uh, one of the things that you'll find is that there are at least, they'll label at least 28 varieties of addictions. 28 varieties. Now that means that, basically categories. What that means is there's 28 categories of addictions. It's not, it doesn't say, it's not saying there's 28 addictions. It's saying there's 28 categories of addictions, and you could put all kinds of addictions in those categories. And society says, what does society say about addictions? They'll usually say, well, it's a sickness. You have a disease. That's your problem. You have a disease. And, and we know there are all kinds of addictions that could be diseases, whether it's gambling or a sex addiction or those of us who are addicted to sugar or video games. Anything can become an addiction. But the Bible doesn't say that your issue is a disease. It says your issue, you're born with it, and everybody has it, and that issue is sin. 
That issue is the thing that holds you back, is sin. And sin corrupts everything. Now take a look, uh, if you, well, you don't have to turn there. I can read it to you, but I think it's a worthy verse to at least take a note of and at least put in the margin of your Bible or however it is that you like to try to remind yourself of things. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says this. He, speaking of Jesus, he has delivered us from what? If you know the passage, you know what it says. But this is, again, to answer the question, what is it that we need redemption from? And listen to what he says. There is deliverance, redemption. That he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see it? He says, okay, Jesus has taken the Christian, the person of faith, and he's redeemed them, and he's transferred them from the domain of darkness into the place of light. You've been redeemed, right? You, you no longer have to think like the rest of the world. You no longer have to have these addictions. You can say no to them. You don't have to give it an excuse, right? You know the whole argument between nature versus nurture? Where does evil come from? Is it nurtured or is it nature? My friends, it's nature because of the fallen nature that we have in us. And when Adam and, C when Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God, it corrupted everything. So in Colossians, when it says, he has delivered us, he has redeemed us from the domain of darkness, right? That domain of darkness, what is the domain of darkness? It's where every person is exists, every person lives without Christ, right? And nobody in the world is arguing that the world is a utopia, is they? Is they? <laughs> nobody is saying that the world is a happy, go-lucky place, right? Even if you go to Disneyland and you go on that stupid ride, it's a small world after all, that ride stinks. It's so old, it, 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 like, it's not fun. There's, they're, 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 it's still, even when you're doing those things, everything gets corrupted. So when Adam and Eve sinned, to, to take back to where I'm actually trying to communicate, when Adam and Eve first sinned, it corrupted, the domain of darkness corrupted their view of self. Right, immediately, Adam and Eve realized that when they were walking in the perfect garden, that they were naked. And they became ashamed. Did you hear that? In the beginning of Scripture, when sin enters into humanity, the first impact of sin is shame. And without the liberation and the deliverance and the redemption of Jesus, there is no getting rid of one's shame. There is no working oneself out of shame. It also corrupted their view of God. Do you remember what the serpent said to Adam and Eve? Did God really say what he said? Is God really, is God really who he claims to be? That is the second thing that enslaves us in that domain of darkness. Our view of self gets jacked up. Our identity is messed up. Our identity of God, our view of God gets twisted. You know what I love about the gospel? You think about the view of God, and because this is a hard message to preach when we start talking about sin, because in our culture, it's highly offensive, highly offensive to say that God is a God of wrath. Okay, but that domain of darkness, I hope I can 
memorize where I'm going real quick because, because I want to land in this. This is just me trying to, my brain's doing things like this inside my brain right now. And there's all these paths I can go, and I'll hit a dead end, and I won't remember where I'm going, and I'm doing it to myself right now. <laughs> Woo! Domain of darkness. Look at chapter 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us, gives us a picture of what it is to be in that domain of darkness. You were dead in your trespasses, it says. Chapter 2, verse 1. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Do you hear it? Paul is making the argument. He's telling the truth. All of us are in this domain of darkness. We've lost our view of self. We've lost our view of God. We've lost the reality that we live in the view of God. And our view of God is twisted. And the reason I mentioned this idea of God's love is because when you read this, when you say, you know what, this is who you were. When we talk identity, this is God's biblical identity of who you are outside of Christ. You are in the domain of darkness. You are enslaved to that domain of darkness. And there is no hope to break out of that darkness unless Jesus intervenes. Now that message that we're in the domain of darkness is unpopular because all Americans want to hear is that God is love. That's all we want to hear. That's what everybody wants at Easter. It's what everybody wants on a Sunday. It's what everybody wants the pastor who's on television to be about. That's one of the reasons while a certain pastor on TV, pastor on TV, right? He is so popular, this guy I'm talking about, because he never says anything hard. You're going to live your best life now. You're going to live it right now. Because Jesus loves you, and gosh darn it, you're good enough. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. That doesn't, that's not popular. But here's the thing. That's offensive to Americans. That's offensive to Americans. Transfer to the Middle East. You take the, the overall American message of the gospel, that God is love, and you take it to the Middle East, and you say God is love. Do you know what happens to those in the Middle East? They get angry. They get offended. You want to know why? Because they emphasize that God is a God of justice. God is a God of right. God is a God of right and not wrong. And he must punish the evildoer. And so to mention that God is wrathful is offensive. What's the takeaway? It doesn't matter what camp you're in. The gospel's meant to be offensive. Whether that's the love portion or the justice portion. It's meant to be offensive. But without that offense, there's no liberation. It's that offense that wakes us up out of the darkness. As it goes on, or as I would go on and say, the other things that happen inside of that, that area of darkness when we're living in the dark is not only does it change our view of ourself and our view of God, and our, but it also changes our view of others. Sin corrupts the way we view people. We were meant to be in community. We were meant to love one another. We were meant to encourage one another, to help one another. In our society... That's not the case as Americans, is it? Because we live in the United States of America. We are independent. We don't need anybody. And then it also distorts our view of creation. 
It distorts all of these things. All of these things get jacked up because of the domain of darkness. Now, here's basically what he's saying. This is, this is all of this to preclude what understanding what redemption is. All of us at one point in time were locked in a jail cell of our own doing. Right? And in that jail cell, we are confined. There's no hope. We can grab the bars and we can, we can ask God to liberate us from our addictions and it may not happen. We can pray that we can get out, but it may not happen. And here's why the gospel is a gospel of grace and not works. Because when the Bible says that you're dead in your trespasses, one has to ask, how does one get alive by doing good? The next question we have to ask when he says, you are slave to sin. The next question we have to ask is, how does a prisoner get out of his jail cell with good works? Do you think there's enough tithing you can do to get out of your cell? Do you think there's enough good works you can do to outweigh your good works? Do you, do you really think that you can get out of that locked cell? Which is your nature. That's what, it's, what you're born with. It's like trying to change the very person that you are. I, you can't do it. And so the gospel says, listen, this is the condition. This is your identity as a sinner. However, we as Christians have redemption. And that redemption, it tells us, comes from where? Look in the text. What's it say? As Brad Beers every now and then says, Jesus is always the answer, right? But it isn't just Jesus. It's through Jesus it says it's through him, but if we keep looking in the text a little closer, redemption through him, but through what? His perfect, sinless, unstained blood is the thing that unlocks the jail cell. There is no redemption without Jesus Christ going to the cross and dying on the cross for your sins. And justifying you before God because of your sins, redemption, the key that unlocks the door isn't your blood, sweat, and tears, but it's Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears. And so he comes to the cell with his blood to redeem you, to pull you out of your fiery filth. Uh, listen to how Revelation says it. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Here we are with Christ, we're now free. And because of that freedom, he says, listen to that same kind of language of transfer from dark to light. And he has transferred us and made us, it says, a kingdom of priests to God. Isn't that neat? He's literally like, I've moved you out of the cell, and I've made you a priest. Now, I have spent some time in prison, not because of anything I did. My father spent 10 years in Folsom. So I've got 10 years uh, of my, some of my childhood of visiting the prison, visiting a, but he, he spent 10 years in Folsom, which is one of the, the gnarliest prisons you can be in. And, and when you go, there is a whole process you have to, if you've ever done it, you know, like you got to have a letter beforehand, you got to do some stuff. And this is years ago, right? And then you go, you finally get there and you set up the appointment. Then you've got to go through gate after gate and you finally get to this place where you can sit down in an enclosed space where nobody can get out of. 
for all for all purposes, you're just as much a prisoner at that moment as the person you're sitting with. You can't get out. And, and, and as you are looking inside of those closed walls and you realize how dark it is and, and how solitary confinement can mess you up and all of those things that come with prison, Jesus is offering to you the ability to get out. Someone asked me, well, what about free will the, after the first service? Here's the idea with free will. So, so all of you are clear. I believe in free will. I believe in free will according to how the Bible defines free will. And this is what I mean by this. What I mean by this is when someone says, I have free will. I say, no, you don't. No one has free will. Can you fly like a bird? Anybody in here fly like a bird? Anyone? Anyone? Still no? No? I'm just, I just want to make sure. Do you know why you can't fly like a bird? It's not in your nature, you silly goose. It's not in your nature. And until your nature changes, you can't fly. It's the same way as Christians. Before Christ in your jail cell, you could only freely choose that which is in your little confined space. And so many people on this earth are living to be kings and queens of their own little cell. This is their world. This is where they live. This is where they operate. And all of their doings, all of their choices, all of the things they do to one degree or another, are on, they're only able to do inside of that cell because their nature... And their freedom is confined to that box, metaphorically speaking, spiritually, right? Then what happens is Christ pulls you out of the cell through his blood, through the redemption he has provided on the cross. He has got you out of, he has saved you. And when you walked out of that cell as somebody in faith, you walked out no longer a sinner, no longer a slave, no longer a prisoner. You walked out free with a new nature that now has the ability to please God. You didn't have that nature without redemption. You didn't have that nature without Jesus purchasing you from this radical, ugly condition you were in and Jesus' goodness, his blood, redeems us out of that cell and we're free. Now here's, here's something that I know somebody in the room's uh, asking or thinking. You're thinking, okay, I want to believe that. Even as a Christian, maybe, maybe you have believed it. But then you say, Jess, I, I still have these addictions, though. I still have these little things that bother me. I still have sin. I, I, I'm still wrestling to get out of the cell in this area. Maybe that's lust. Maybe that's lying. Maybe that's gossiping. It could be a slew of anything. We, we, can, make, we can make idols out of everything. We can make addictions out of everything, right? Everything. And as he liberates us and he brings us out and he gives us this new identity, we have the ability now to say, okay, no more. And some of you are going to say, okay, wait a minute. I, I thought I was free. And this is essentially what happens to some of us, right? Because, because Romans will tell us, Romans will tell us that there is a future redemption. So you're redeemed now, but there's a future redemption. And anybody who knows where I'm going knows that when you become born again and you become a creature of Christ, you end up with these kind of two natures. You know your spirit is alive because the spirit can only say that Jesus is God if God has done that to the spirit, right? 
Those of you who are Christians in the room, you know inside, you can feel it in your guts. You're like, Jesus is my God. I want to serve him. He's forgiven me. I love him. He's, Jesus is, he's God. He's awesome. He's God, right? And then you get on the road and someone can cut you off and you're no longer talking like Jesus is God. And then that happens and all of a sudden your guilt and your shame comes and you're like, dang it, I'm in the jail cell. I thought I was liberated. I thought I was free. And because of this dual nature, essentially this is what happens to all of us. We, we walk with the Lord and on occasion, we walk right back like the dog returns to his vomit and we go back into the jail cell and we go back to our old fleshy ways. Now before Christ, you would turn around and the door was closed. But with Christ, if you turn around, the door's still open. Just walk out of the cell. This is what Martin Luther put on his 95 thesis. It was the number one thing on his thesis. The number one thing he was like, hey, Pope, hey, Catholic Church, yes to grace, but we have to understand in grace, the life of a believer is a life of repentance. That's what repentance is. It's, oh my gosh, I'm in a jail cell. I better walk back out of this thing. And as you walk out of it, what you find, just like the prodigal son, is Jesus standing there welcoming you with open arms. And what's even crazier is I think that you could find evidence, metaphorically and spiritually speaking, that when you walk into that jail cell, because you're in Christ, Jesus walks in there with you. To every now and then use his Holy Spirit to tap you on the shoulder and say, what are you doing in here, fool? <laughs> Don't you know your freedom? Don't you know what I have to offer you? Don't you know what I have to give you? Because the cost of this redemption, it was free to us, but it cost God his own son and his own blood. It cost him greatly. And now that we have this redemption, there, there's one specific thing that we have because of this redemption. But we have the other effects of redemption as well. If you were to go to Colossians 1.20, you would find that our redemption being redeemed and freed from the slavery of sin, that Jesus brings peace. Part of what God brings to our freedom is a mindset of peace. And ultimately, that peace is, isn't just an inner peace in this world. And I know for a fact that it's not peace between you and your neighbor. Some of you think, well, if I have God and he's my peace, I, I, everything should be peaceful. No, 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 no. The main thing that the Bible's saying about peace is you're no longer at war with God. So this liberation is to free us from the wrath of God and give us his peace that we no longer are fighting against God. How many of you this morning want to know that you don't fight against the Lord? How many of you inside want to know when you walk day to day? You don't have to raise your hand. I know there's people in the room. You, you know, especially sometimes when you're in sin, you'll hear language like, I can feel God's heavy hand on me. You know, sometimes as Christians, because a good father loves his sons, he'll, he'll just rest his spirit on you in the middle of your addiction, during your addiction, and just, just to push on you to say, it's time to no longer play with these things. Romans 5.9 will say that his redemption brings justification. We become justified before God, which is just a fancy way of saying, it's just as if I'd never sinned, or it's just if I'd done all the right things. I'm right 
I'm correct now before God. I can be in God's presence and not be obliterated by his holiness. And then Ephesians 2.13, which if you just jump down from where we're at, tells us that this blood of Jesus Christ has brought us near to Jesus. So redemption brings proximity. Right? It's, it's that same kind of deal as if, as if you've been in prison like my dad was, and all of a sudden the gates are open, and, and God's right there to embrace you, to come close to you. It's proximity. Like we have been freed from our cell of isolation, loneliness, right? Before we were addicted to our own ways, our own mind, our own inclinations, our own desires, right? You know the mantra, just be you and follow your heart. I hate that garbage because the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know, it, know its ways? Judge your heart by scripture. Judge your heart by the words of Jesus. Don't just follow your heart. If you follow your heart, you're gonna end up back in the jail cell. That's what happens when you follow your gut. Don't follow your gut, don't follow your heart, follow the Spirit. Follow where God leads you. But that's not the emphasis of this passage. The emphasis of this passage is in verse 7, where he says we have redemption, we have it, it's ours, and where is it found? In him. Nowhere else. Okay, so society can say, take the right medication, we'll fix the human." Get the right politics in, get the right laws in. We, we do all these, we vote for the right person. We just need a few more Ron DeSantis's in the world. Just get that guy, right? All of, all of that, if, if we just do that, we'll fix society. We'll, we'll, we'll fix the problem. And the reality is, is what scripture is teaching is that there is no fixing this outside of him. The world, and again, this isn't popular, but I love you too much to, to just give you popular words. And I think not being popular is one of the reasons the church keeps growing. But the reality is, is that our world is hopeless without the forgiveness of Christ. And that society, nations, will continue to war against nations. There will still continue to be riots, robberies, school shootings. All of these things that society says, all we need to do is pass the right laws and if we pass the right laws, we can remove this kind of violence and ugliness from our world. And what the Bible says is, put as many laws as you want out there. It's never going to happen unless you have the faith in Christ. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. God knew it. He knew. He's like, I just need ten laws to prove to people that they can't follow laws. So I'll give you ten. And then Jesus came and he was like, yeah, I knew it. You sinful people. Ten is too many. Let me break it down to two. Love your neighbor and love God with all your heart. How you doing? Society can't do it. And if they don't believe in God, they can't love their neighbor because their neighbor's not made in the image of God. Their neighbor actually is competing for resources. And so without forgiveness, there is no reconciliation. And what's amazing about this forgiveness is what we see in verse 7. Do you see do you see it? Look at verse 7 again. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness and trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. 
Remember I said the kinsman redeemer had to have the money to redeem? This is Paul's way of saying, Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, paid for our liberation out of his wealth. And it tells us that he, he lavishes in the text. He lavishes his grace upon us. But what this means is there is no sin in this room or in this world that Jesus Christ cannot absorb. His grace doesn't come in little amounts. His grace comes in heap, heaping amounts. His grace is like a huge dump truck. Have you ever seen those videos where they take that huge, huge, huge tractor and they put water in that big scoop and they, it's bigger than a car and then they put a car under it and they, they unload that water on the car and all that water just crushes and obliterates the car? That's like God's grace. Man, he just lifts himself up on the cross and he dumps out all of his blood upon us and it crushes us in such a way that it makes us something that we weren't before. Free to love God, free to no longer have to choose sin alone, and free to choose righteousness. And this idea of forgiveness goes all the way back in the Old Testament. I mean, you go back to Leviticus 16 and you'll find you'll find that, that there would be what was called the Day of Atonement, the, 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 the Day of Yom Kippur, which was literally on that day, the priest would take one goat and he basically put his hands on it as if he was transferring the, the guilt and the sin to that goat of the people, the people of, of, of the Hebrews, right? He'd, he'd lay their hand on the goat and then they'd kill the goat. And the goat was a substitute, right? pointing to Jesus, that he would be the substitute. And that substitute, we know, wasn't sufficient. Only Jesus was sufficient. But they'd take another goat. And they'd bring that goat in. And they would lay upon him, again, the sin on that goat. And then they basically would give that goat a little quick kick to the tush. And they'd send it into the wilderness. And the goat would go off into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Never to be found. The sins of the people were placed on that animal as a symbol of what Jesus would do. And he shoves all of those sins into the wilderness to die and to go away and to never have to be dealt with again. And likewise, Jesus is that substitute who has taken your sins upon himself, forgiven you of them, and he has shoved all of your sins, past, present, and future, because his grace is lavished, it's huge, and he puts it into the wilderness to never be seen. Your sins are never brought up in front of the face of God. They may be brought up to your wife. They may be brought up to your husband and your kids. They may be brought up to your boss, but they will never be brought up with Jesus unless it's to guide you into more freedom. And then lastly, as we get ready to close and take communion together, you'll notice something at the end of this lavishing. <clears throat> Look at verse, I think it's an eight which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will. There's a transcendent side of this deliverance that gives us forgiveness, but then there's the practical side. He says he's done this to give you the mystery of his will, to let you know what he's doing. And he's going to start getting into that in the second half of Ephesians. This is how you live. Now that you're free, you should live as if you're free. In the room this morning are Christians who have been delivered Freed from Christ in this room, but you still hang out 
in your jail cell. And God this morning is letting you know that it is time to return to him in wisdom and understanding that he would blot out your transgressions like a cloud and bring you into his presence that you would know the way in which you ought to live as a free Christian. And that is ultimately the question I have to ask this morning. Are you living as a liberated Christian, free because of the lavishing of God's grace upon you? Or are you trying to be king or queen of your own little jail cell? You see, you can remove yourself with God's grace and blood out of that self-centered little pocket you live in and live for a much bigger kingdom. And yeah, you're not in charge of it because God is, but you're a servant in the most beautiful kingdom there is. And it would be my hope that you would see this morning that in Christ, you have redemption. You no longer have to be a slave to your sin. You can be free. You don't have to think like the rest of the world. You don't have to fit it, right? You don't have to fit into the hive mind that is becoming our world. Everyone must think this way. Everyone must do this thing. Everyone must say this thing and believe this thing. You don't have to go with that because you've been freed from that kind of poison because that's what it is. It's poison, and he's given us redemption through his blood. Amen? <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> I invite the worship team up uh, along with uh, our elders and deacons. I, don't, I know we've got a bunch of leaders out right now, so um, Andy, thank you. Dave, would you, Dave, would you be willing to help out? Thanks, buddy. Andrew, thank you. All right, we've got more here than I thought. Perfect. Guys, go ahead and um, hand out the elements, bread first and then the juice. And as they hand out the elements, just hold on to them for a few moments. Uh, we'll partake together, and so uh, just give it a few moments. But I want to say a few things while they hand it out about communion. <clears throat> the first thing that I want you to understand as we partake in communion, we do this so you know Jesus instructs us to do this. I think the church should do it on a regular basis. Uh, we've chosen to do it at least once a month. That's uh, on average what we do. It's usually the first Sunday of each month. I don't know. Uh, how long some of you have been coming and if you've been able to pick up on that rhythm yet. But we do it the first of the month. And there's a place, there's an argument to do it every week, and some churches do, and I think that's great. But at the same time, there's a tension between doing it and honoring it and not doing it so often that you lose its impact. And so we, we felt like doing it once a month gives us this tension between we do it frequently, but, but we don't do it so often that it becomes, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. When we participate in communion, we're being called back into the ancient history of God's people, all the way back into the Passover. Right? Remember, for them, the Passover, their liberation, so the firstborn child wasn't killed, they had to put blood through his blood on blood on the doorpost. So the angel of the Lord would pass by and their sins would not be visited upon them and the child would die. And so we have this ancient history for thousands and thousands of years that this that we're 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 participating in and we're participating in it as a church today but but we're sharing with all the saints of the past and and all of the saints in the future and all of those saints who are in heaven who practiced this before us we're participating in something beautiful holy in fact the church 
the church has had all kinds of arguments in church history about what is actually happening in communion. In the Catholic faith, they've maybe taken it too far. They say, oh, well, you're actually ingesting Jesus. <laughs> uh, but, but there's something still, I think, even Luther wrestled with that. Like, we don't want to make it so common. Like, it does need to be somewhat transcendent that what you are participating in is a beautiful thing, a historical thing. And that historical thing reminds us of the work of Jesus. It reminds us that his blood is what liberated us and freed us from the bondage that was holding us back. And as you participate in communion, we do it knowing that this is the way in which God has chosen to remind us that we're no longer guilty before the Lord. And that we, it was made possible through the cross, through his death and his resurrection. Now lastly, there is this tension for those of you who are believers and those of you who are in the room and you're exploring Christianity and you would not yet consider yourself a believer. For those of you who are a believer, some of you may be sitting here, I've heard it, I've heard it all. Hey, I can't participate in communion Sunday or I didn't participate in communion. Because as a Christian, I know I'm wrestling with my, my sin and, and I don't feel like I'm right before the Lord. Well, that's like saying, that is just like saying, I know I have a disease, but I refuse to go to the doctor until it gets cured. For you as a Christian, communion is the first step of repentance. Walk out of the cell and into the arms of Christ. Communion is a step of walking into the arms of Christ. If you're a Christian this morning and you feel condemned, like you can't participate in communion, that's a lie from the enemy. The jail cell is open. Repent, walk out, participate in free and good conscience. However, this is such a beautiful act. The Bible says that this is to be reserved for those who call on Christ in faith. That it isn't for everyone. Everyone shouldn't take communion. Christians take communion. And the Bible actually encourages that if you're still seeking and you're still wondering who Jesus is and you've not made that full proclamation, you should withhold and not participate. Reserve it for the sacred, for the sacred moment. But at the same time, know, know that if that is you this morning and you're saying, well, I want to participate in it, I don't, what does it take to believe? It takes faith. That's it. So if you want to take communion and, and, and you want a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus starts by just admitting everything I said is true. Not everything I said, everything Scripture said. You've got to be careful there. I might have said some things that were off. You never know until after the service when someone tells you. <laughs> that is available to you. Salvation, it says, is today. And again, if that's you and you're wondering, I want to be saved, how do I do it? Put your faith in Jesus. Walk out of the jail cell because he's opened it with his blood and walk with him in freedom. Walk with Christ in freedom. That's what it means to be a Christian, to walk in faith with Christ. And again, he has lavished this upon us. Not a little bit, but a lot. Would you stand with me as we close and we participate in communion together? I want to pray. Lord, <clears throat> you are better to us than we could ever think or imagine. You have bestowed upon us gifts in the Spirit that are unfathomable for the imagination to even comprehend. Even for me as someone who considers myself a, a Bible teacher, Lord, I confess that your grace is so deep, 
so wonderful, so glorious that I can't even fully comprehend the ways in which you have loved me, cared for me, provided for me. And I know that that is true, not just for me, but for everyone in this room, even those who still feel they're caught in their sin, that if they look, they will see that Jesus has been searching for them, knocking on the door, and pursuing them for their whole lives. May they find you. May they see you. Lift the veil. This morning, though, Lord, for us, we want to say thank you for your blood. Thank you for your, your body, which was crucified for us, Lord. Thank you that you have given us the ability, Lord, to know you, to seek you, to follow you, Lord, because we don't sit in that cell anymore. We're, we're free as free gets. So we choose you today. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us. In Jesus' name, the church said. You may partake. His body broken for us. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy your families. Enjoy community. Get some stuff outside. Get some good little food. Support Awana. Get your car washed on a beautiful sunny day. We'll see you next week. Let's respond in song, church. Jesus Christ.